Right, let's turn in the scriptures now to um, probably, dare I say it, the, the one scripture that has been fought over more than any part of the scriptures. More blood has been shed over these verses than any other verses in the Bible. <laughs> so if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Luke? The Luke account of the Last Supper. This is the most important meal that was ever eaten on the face of this earth. And um, it has immense significance. So Luke chapter 22, and we'll read from verse 7. We're doing a series. It's the last one on the meals that Jesus took with his disciples and with others. And this is the final one. Verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. Just to stop at that, if you get in Jerusalem with nearly a million visitors, how on earth are you going to find a man carrying a pitcher of water? The significance is men never carry pitchers of water. You find a man carrying a pitcher of water, he will stand out like a sore thumb. He's the man. Let's go on. Women did all the work then, as now. <laughs> and say to the owner of the house, Teacher, sorry, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover, sorry, this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until until the kingdom of God. Of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Well, let's stop there. How, it's interesting how famous men are remembered, isn't it? If you go to London, you will see that dear Horatia Nelson is remembered by a statue of him on the top of a great column. Robert Burns, the Scottish poet, is remembered on his birthday as they pipe in a steaming haggis and say a wee poem about a mouse. 
Albert, Prince Albert, the Queen's consort, is remembered by a great uh, concert hall in the middle of London. Shakespeare, quite rightly, is remembered by his plays and his poems. You go to Tiananmen Square, there's a Mao Zedong is remembered by his body embalmed there. Likewise, in Red Square, you'll see the embalmed body of Lenin. How would you want to be remembered? Well, Jesus gave very strict instructions how he wanted to be remembered. And this will be, this will be by, he took two very cheap, affordable things. Bread, a Peter loaf of bread, and some wine. So the Son of Man, the creator of the world, when he came, said, this is what I want you to remember. Actually, it's interesting. None of his disciples ever remembered Jesus. They never said, I remember Jesus. They knew him. But he said, I want you to remember this key thing about what I've done. So anyway, let's go back to this, the story, how it's, it's all said in historical context. It's Passover time. It's springtime in, in Israel. They've had three fantastic years, these 12 young men, following this, their teacher, this rabbi, Jesus. It's been amazing. They've never seen anything like it. And now he comes to, to Jerusalem, and it's the Passover, it's the festival, it's the, it's the crowning festival, everybody loves uh, Passover, and uh, it sort of, it sort of gives them their identity as people, when they remember how God delivered them from the, the thrall and from the, uh, the prison of Egypt, as a whole nation, God set them free, and uh, so every year they would, they would uh, remember this meal. It was command, God commanded them to remember it. And, um, and there they are. And, Jesus, and so they, Jesus, they prepared the Passover and they had the unleavened bread. And uh, Jesus and his disciples, they, they sat down and uh, they were all ready. And great excitement. There's, there is a sense of climax. Perhaps Jesus is going to make his move now. We've had three years as he's been saying some very... Suspicious things about, you know, the end and his death. Perhaps he will make the move and he'll, he'll show himself and he'll bring in the kingdom in power. They knew there was something. It wasn't just the end of season, the, you know, 12 footballers around the table and a great season. No, no there's something, there's something's going on. Because Jesus says, he says, I have desired to celebrate this Passover. And then suddenly the, the bombshell is dropped. Before I suffer, the atmosphere changes. Suffer? Are we in danger? Well, if we're in danger, let's go 25 miles east, go up the Jordan Valley and hide out in the Galilean hills. Come on. This is a dangerous place. They knew they were after Jesus. The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the leaders, they were after him. Let's. But the, the, they weren't moving. Jesus wasn't moving. And so the, the feast was prepared by the ritual slaughter of these Passover lambs. And they had their unleavened bread that they'd uh, been told to eat just prior to leaving uh, Egypt. And they'd done it every year since. And, um, and you remember the lamb was killed in Egypt, one for a family. You killed the lamb, you took the blood, and you painted it around your lintels. And when the angel of death went over, only those houses with the blood were passed over. So the Egyptian firstborn 
died, but the, the children of Israel were saved. So Jesus, Jesus is eating a Passover meal. Let me just digress. Some of you can, won't follow me on this, but just let me just digress for a minute. Doesn't John say that Jesus, doesn't John say that the, the Passover, that Jesus had to die before the Passover, and yet Jesus is eating the Passover? Well, the scholars say this the Jew, the Galilean people followed the their calendar, their chronology, went from, their day went from breakfast, from sunrise to sunrise. So the 14th of Nisan, which they're on, would be the Thursday. So the Galileans would follow that day. And actually the Pharisees followed the, the Galilean pattern. In the south, the Judeans, their day started at sunset and it went to another sunset. So their 14th of Nisan went over onto the Friday. So they would celebrate their Passover on the Friday which is the day when Jesus would actually die as the Passover. So there's no contradiction between the two um, accounts in the Synoptic Gospels and John's Gospel. And um, Jesus is now celebrating a Passover meal. Now you can come back now if, you, if I lost you for a minute. So anyway, Jesus is there. And, uh, but Jesus wants them to think back to that specific at first Passover. It's, everything's built round this. And, um, and he said, look, what we're doing, and what we're going to do in a few moments is an enacted parable. Every word is significant. Every gesture is meaningful. What he's going to do. Because that, that meal, as I said, anchored the children of Israel as the people of God. But now it is about to find... It's true and universal fulfillment. All that went on in Egypt, which was significant and real and important, was just a picture of the big thing that God was going to do for all people. So it's an incredibly significant moment, this, the next few minutes that Jesus is going to uh, speak. He's going to point to the new exodus, which, remember, they referred to that when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus would have... Achieve his exodus, the same word that's used. So Jesus wants them to get it. Uh, and this will lead to eternal freedom and blessing. So Jesus takes the first cup. There were four cups in the Jewish Passover. Jesus takes the first cup, which is a, a cup of thanksgiving. Everything is based around God's grace. And there are thankful people, right? And then Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Now, this is the most significant meal in the history of mankind, as I said. And it will symbolize a new agreement, a new deal, a new covenant that God is going to make. And it's going to come into effect in the next few days, as we shall see. And that's the first thing. Then He took bread and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, This is my body. Given for you, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. Now, we were in Oxford on Thursday. You go down Broad Street, you'll see in the sets a cross. At the end of Broad Street, you'll see a great memorial to some people who died for their faith. Bishop Cranmer, Latimer, Ridley, and others who died. The chief reason they died was because of the meaning of this one verse. Let me try and explain. 
come back in a few moments if you don't buy it, but don't follow me, I should say. This is incredibly important. Jesus is saying, this is my body. It represents my body. That is our view. In other words, it doesn't become, as the Anglo-Catholics and the Roman Catholics say, it does not become the body and blood of Christ. It stays bread, right? And the wine stays wine. It's represent. this is my wife. Actually, she's over there. But this represents my wife. It's a very poor image, as any woman will tell you, with a picture of themselves. But it represents her. And Jesus says, this bread represents what I'm about to do. Just as the, the, the cup doesn't become the covenant, it represents, the wine represents the covenant I am going to make with you. It represents his hole in the bread in his body. When he says, I am the door, he says, I represent a door, what my, my teaching. When he says, I am the bread of life, I represent. And so we said, now why is it significant? Because what we're taking part in in a few moments is not a sacrifice. We are not taking the body and blood of Christ as, and offering it to God as high as a priest to God. We're not repeating Calvary, right? It has been done once and for all. Jesus, our great high priest, as I was, Isaac Watts says, our great high priest, offered his blood and died. My guilty conscience is no sacrifice beside. His powerful blood did once atone. Once. And now it pleads before the throne. We're not repeating the offer of, sorry, the, well, the offer of his body on the cross. We're remembering it. So this is a, it is a sacrament, not a sacrifice. That's why these men died. Because the very heart of the gospel was an issue. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. And so, you see, what he's saying is, not only is his body, not is he the bread of life, he is, his body is in one sense is the bread of affliction, for because he, he will carry the suffering of his people. He, he, as, he, as he breaks the bread, as we, we'll break the bread in a moment, he in a few hours will be smashed on the cross and tortured, just as a... Uh, in, in agony. And this bread will represent that. Uh, and he dies for our liberation. He dies for our freedom, for our eternal blessing. And um, the, the, the poor animals, the difference is they didn't volunteer. They, went, they were not volunteers. But Jesus is volunteering. He's glad, he comes gladly. But the death he dies is a death that we, must, we should die. Just as Isaiah prophesied 700 years before, he bore the sin of many. He is there in our place. And uh, as, as the body is broken, as the bread is broken, we remember his terrible suffering. Uh, but whatever else we get from this meal, I want you to get hold of in your hearts how much he loves you. Whatever else you get, 
You've got to try and grasp the unfathomable love he has for you. We chase after many things in life. He is far greater, more wonderful, more glorious than all the other things we chase after in life. His love is supreme for you. And Jesus says, this is given for you. And that is the significance of the broken bread. And uh, this is the most important concept in the Bible. Martin Luther says, the cross is my only theology. Jesus, this, this is the end of all sacrifices. And uh, this is the sacrifice, the sacrifice that satisfies God. God has chosen his lamb. His son will come. The eternal comes we made and he says, the, the son will go for us. And he says, this is my body given for you, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now quickly in the same way. He, he took the cup, probably the third cup of Passover. Um, remember that in Egypt, the, the lamb had been slaughtered and uh, its blood had been shed to deliver the people from their slavery in Egypt. And the thing was this. So they came out of Egypt. You remember they came south to Sinai. And God at Sinai is going to seal that. He's going to seal that. Uh, a relationship with a, with a covenant. And he makes a covenant, an agreement with Moses. The Bible's all to do with covenants. You know, you've got the, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David, and then one hinted at by Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the new covenant. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, at the bottom and Sinai, at the bottom of that position, God entered into them. God has a marriage with his people, which is what the Bible is all about, actually. And he seals that marriage. He seals that union at Sinai, again, with a slaughter and with a sacrifice. A deal is made. A covenant is sealed. Now then, Jesus, in the same way, this is the new covenant that Ezekiel and Isaiah were, were alluding to, or more than alluding to, were spelling out. And Jesus himself will be the sealing sacrifice. This is a big deal. This is huge. You know, remember, you remember some of you remember when Mrs. Thatcher was selling the utilities off, you know, we're going to buy shares. And if you went to City, they had these great presentations when they would unveil the share price. And there was a great hullabaloo and it was wonderful, the press went, this is it, the share price will be to your electricity or gas. Wow, wonderful, go and buy it. Or else if you, you know, dear old Steve Jobs for Apple, when he, bring, when he brought out in San Francisco or wherever it was, uh, you know, he, he was selling, I don't know, I, the, the first computer. And they, they had it all well presented. It was a great sales job. And then, of course, the, and then the iPad, he'd come on the stage and, oh, boy, a great sales thing. It's nothing compared to this. This is the greatest offer the world has ever known. And, and Jesus said, he's going to fulfill, this is the new covenant, this is it. You remember what Jeremiah talked about? What, what is it about? Well, let me quickly remind you. The first thing is that it's the end of the old. This is a very significant thing, especially for the Jews. This is the end of all the ceremonies. It's the end of the dietary laws, the Sabbath laws. It's the end of all the rituals and the 
sacrifices and the altars. It's the end of the priest, as you know it. It's the end of the holy place. It's the end of the very holy of holy. It's going to be, the curtain will be torn in a few hours. It's the end of all that. It's the end of all the temple. There'll be a new kind of temple. It's finished. It's all done. That was great and glorious, but it's finished. And this is going to be a new thing. And, he, and, he, and Jesus says, this is a new covenant. Well, I, I, Jeremiah spelled it, not Jeremiah. Yeah, Jeremiah spelled it out. Let quickly, just give you the headings. He said, I will put my law in their hearts. Right? So now, in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. He said, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, was great and wonderful and marvelous. But it killed you. You couldn't do it. You can't do the first one. You can't love God with all your heart. You find something else creeps in. Some other, and well, blow it, you've broken that. And it went on. It was, it's wonderful is the law of God. But the trouble is, it doesn't help you. It doesn't help you. And Jesus says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the Holy Spirit in every believer. I'm going to put the Spirit of God in, in every believer. And he will open your eyes. He will transform you. He will empower you. He will encourage you. He will give you wisdom. He will give you understanding. He will give you motivation. He, you, you'll be able to keep the Ten Commandments then. You will have power within. I will do it through you. You'll want to do them above everything else. That's a sign you're a Christian. You'll want to do it. Now, yes. You know, I was watching a program on BBC4 about the great musicals of... Uh, my youth of the 50s and 60s and uh, the great musicals King and I and South Pacific and West Asia. but the sad thing well the sad work all the main leads didn't sing anything they didn't sing anything Deborah Carr Natalie Wood and Mitz again all the, they didn't sing anything they had some poor gal in the studios who had a better voice singing what they had to do they had to do all the parts, move their lips, and try to sing. They had to submit to the director's wishes. If you submit, you will appear to sing better than you've ever sung before. Because <laughs> growing up, we, we weren't to know that. We were fooled. <laughs> it was lovely. Well, Jesus says, I'm going to send someone, and he will work through you. You have to submit to him. You have to do everything he tells you. But you will live a sweeter life. You will sing a sweeter song. You will sing the songs of God. You'll do it. It's amazing. And he will come to you. And then the second thing he says, I will, put, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. In fact, the Matthew uh, institution of the Lord's Supper says, he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But surely people were forgiven in the Old Testament. They were. But the reason they were forgiven was because God, who is out of time, could see what Christ, his son, would do on that future day. God could forgive the sins of Nineveh that Jonah preached to because he could see Christ dying in their place. He could forgive your sin because he looks back and so you see Christ dying for your sin in your place. And so, you know, some, as you come this morning, some of us and some of you carry sins all your life. 
You never get rid of them. They're like a corrosive acid or like a ball and chain. And maybe today you'll believe what God says. I will forgive their sins. And their iniquity, I'll remember no more. Believe it as you take the bread and wine. And the other thing he says about this covenant, and um, he says, it's for all of you. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer will they teach his neighbors saying, know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. See, we often, even in church, we think, well, they're the spiritual ones, you know? People at the front, elders, the vicar, the minister. No, no, we're all equal. The Holy Spirit democratizes all of us. No, you all know the Lord, all of you. You're all of equal status, equal standing in the kingdom. All of you. That's the, that's the covenant. There's no hierarchy. No second-handers. No, we're all... The knowledge of God that we're loved and we're included, that we're covenant people, is for all of us. Jesus says, look, I'm going to die. And in three days, he's going to be raised. But in 50 days' time, I will send the Holy Spirit. And then your eyes will be open. You will see it. Really? I know. What is he talking about? You will see. You know, it's like that program. Um, DIY SOS. Have you seen it? Yeah. It's good television. It's pretty corny. And if you want a good cry, you watch it. But, you know, somebody like that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen it through, but... Well, like last week, there's this gal and her husband has died. And she's left with her son and daughter. The house is a mess. And this chap, Nick Knowles, comes in and he's going to refurbish it. Or else, uh, previous week I saw it. This guy, he'd been, his wife had cancer and she'd... Oh, the house was terrible. Four or five kids. Every room was a mess. The garden was a tip. And oh, dear. So, you know, you get the, all the local artisans, the joiners, the decorators, the plumbers, the electricians, they come in free of charge and get the kids and the chapel worn away for a week and, they, and, and then they bring them back, right? Right? So they come back, right? Open your eyes. Wow. That's amazing. The little lad last week, his, team, his football team's around the wall. He has his, a football net behind his bare little net. The, the girl, the bedroom's fantastic. The woman, you know, she's crying, and we're crying. The electricians and plumbers are all crying on her. And, uh, and she just said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Just open your eyes. Let's shut, come in this room. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and says, it's true. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're adopted. You have power. You have everything you need in this life for this life and godliness. I've, I've, I've set a place in heaven for you. It's all glorious. It's all for you. It's for you. It's a covenant. Jesus, I want to bless you. You're my bride. You know, well, I think it was one of the early church fathers who used the illustration of Adam. And you remember Adam? God took out of his side a bit of tissue, blood, and produced... A bride, Eve. In the same way on the cross, the spear went into his side and blood and water flowed out. Why? To produce a bride. He did it for you. Do you not think he will not sh- 
give us what we need in this life? Why do you worry? Why do I worry? It's like a wedding ceremony. All I have, I give to you. All that I am, I share with you. The Bible's all about one thing, covenant. It's about a marriage. And that's what it's about. And the final thing is, it's a future thing when we come to this cup now. For Jesus says, I will, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of heaven. Now, without unpacking it a lot, there is, we're looking forward to a future event. You get very little in one sense of the Christian life, in, Christian promises in this life. There's far more stored up. We just get a taster. But we're going we're gonna to be with Jesus. We will, thank you, Simon, for the wonderful songs we sang. We will see him. And we should be like him. We will, we will be with those 24 elders who fall down and say, Worthy is the Lamb to take the scroll, the destiny of mankind, and open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed from all nations. A people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign. We are looking forward to this messianic banquet. That's what it's about. And we'll eat with them. And um, that's what it's about. That's that's what we're looking forward to. I mean, Paul says this, doesn't he? Whenever you eat this bread and... And drink this cup. You proclaim. The word proclaim is to evangelize, to preach. Preach. You preach the gospel until he comes. That's what we're looking for. It's great to be a Christian. But it'd be wonderful when he comes. Jesus will come physically, bodily, dynamically to this planet earth. And we shall see him. And he will call his people to him. And we will reign with him. That's what it's about. And that's... And so every time we take the cup, we think, until he comes. Until he comes. Now, my friends, we have lost the hope. I don't just want to... I'm not interested in going back to Eden. Eden was only a trial thing. Adam was on probation. We're not going back to that. We're going to a new heaven, a new home, the home of righteousness. No trial. No, No see how you get on. No, no, we're in, secure, there for good, eternally blessed. That is our destiny. That's what it's about. Don't look so miserable, friends. It's going to happen. And every time you break, yes, next year. So then, quickly, four things as we break bread now. Firstly, we look back. We look back in immense gratitude, right? Secondly, we look inward. Paul says, as a man, a man ought to examine himself. Before he eats of the bread and drinks of the wine. For everyone, anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body of Christ. In other words, you've got to realize the people, this are the people of God. You drink judgment on yourselves. In other words, when you take this, my friends, the saddest thing is that this little meal was taken from the context of a proper meal. That was the saddest thing ever happened. Because we're, we're in the body of Christ. And Jesus said, look around, because these are special people. I have died for these people. I didn't just die for the world. I died for people with names. Don't you rubbish the people of God. Don't you put down the people of God like the world does. These are my people. And if you put them down, if you don't forgive them, or if you have a wrong idea, that's why some of you are sick, and that's why some of you have died, says Paul. 
So you look at, you examine yourself. Thirdly, you look up. Jesus is still with us. We don't believe in the real presence like the Catholics do, but we do believe in the real presence that he is just as real. Calvin was right. He is here. It's not just a memorial feast. He is with us by his spirit. When you take the bread and eat the wine, he ministers by his spirit. It's not just remembering. You eat. Jesus, my flesh is real food. What he means is when you believe this stuff that I'm trying to get across, and you believe it's for you, and you allow the Spirit to minister, we believe very much in the real presence. That's why people like Smith Wiggles, the great healer, he brought bread every day. Perhaps he got it. Perhaps he understood it. He fed. He fed. We've lost something, friends. We've got to gain it. It's amazing. Oh no, and then finally we look forward. We look forward. The Jews just said, next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. Next year with the Lord. This bank I don't understand how the feeding is going to work out in this messianic banquet. I don't know. I won't go down there. It's just going to be glorious. The great thing is this do you have a reservation? Have you made a reservation? And our other task is to go out and say to the world, come, for all is now ready. Come on, the master called. The master called. That's what it's about. For one day, he will come. And Isaiah says, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. And I could give you a lot more text, but my time is gone. And that's it, he's going to come. He's going to come in glory. Until he comes, as Mr. Wesley says, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for favored sinners slain. Thousand, thousand saints attending, swell the triumphs of his train. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord comes on earth to reign. That's our hope, isn't it? Every time we take that bread and wine, even so, Lord Jesus, come. There's nothing like it, my friends. Let's eat now and drink with thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. Amen.